Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Hey everybody, it's me, it's Edwin, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Business Leadership Podcast. My guest today is Suzanne Grant. She is the CEO and co-founder at iBionics. It's a company that is returning sight to the blind. Suzanne's experience is characterized by breadth and depth, leading in technology, military, nonprofit, health and creative fields. She has won awards and commendations at each stage of her career and attributes her success to authentic leadership, strategic thinking, and collaboration. I was really impressed how much her leadership training she received while in the military, and she talks about situational leadership and how your style changes depending on the moment. I'm excited to share our conversation, but before jumping in, I'd like to send out a huge shout out to my media partners, IT World Canada, for the support of the podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Suzanne. Hi, Edwin. I'm really happy to be here today. Thanks for the invite. Well, no, thank you again for your time. I know you're super busy and I really appreciate it. But before getting started, uh, can you please introduce yourself to our listeners today? So people who may not know you, tell us who you are, what you like to do when you're not leading companies. <laughs> uh, well, I guess I could start with I'm a mom. I've got a, a, a 25-year-old and a 20-year-old and uh, an engineer and a singer, and I've had uh, multiple lives. I've been an entrepreneur for over 20 years. Before that, I started as an engineering officer in the Canadian Forces. Uh, then I flipped to entrepreneurship uh, in a developing country where I, I really went to the other side and I, I built a uh, strategic communications company that was wildly successful, but the basis of that was really on the more creative and artistic uh, side of things, uh, building brands, positioning for companies, helping, helping multinationals figure out how to launch in new markets. It's really exciting and dynamic, and I moved back to Ottawa seven years ago. I worked as a consultant for a while. I was really looking for that big project where I could pull all of my uh, talent and, and put it to really good use and uh, in a way that could be it you know benefit uh, the community in our world and and it took me some time to find that kind of project that I really wanted and iBionics is um, certainly that I am a challenge junkie and I have to say that uh, iBionics is a great challenge for me why don't you, Suzanne, tell us a bit about iBionics. What's your role and what are you guys trying to accomplish over there? Uh, great question. Uh, so I am uh, currently the, the chair and CEO and co-founder. There's a lot of C's, uh, C-cubed, I guess. I, call me C-cubed of iBionics. Uh, I am one of the, the, the founding uh, founders of the company. I joined in um, almost two years ago, in fact, uh, in Ottawa. I, I met my co-founders kind of by accident. And my main job as the CEO of iBionics is to help get the strategic direction set properly, do um, an analysis to assure that 
um, our vision can actually be a commercially viable uh, product, a solution that can work on the marketplace. So uh, we're working to return uh, sight to the blind improve quality of life for people who've lost their vision through degenerative retina disease. We use implant technology to do that, but of course getting something to market and having a really great, great technical solution for a problem, it really isn't enough. You need to fit into all of the external factors of uh, financing and, um, and investment and, and understand how you're going to get to market uh, we need to be a global play from the beginning. So uh, my my role in the company is that strategy piece, finding the right people to make it happen and serving those those people to make sure that they're working in an environment where they can um, be empowered and they have all the tools in the environment. So they can optimize their contributions to our uh, shared, shared vision for Ivonic. So our solution is called the Diamond Eye. And it's uh, phenomenal, and we're privileged that our chief technology officer, Professor Stephen Prower, is with us. He's he is the uh, lead inventor, the original inventor of the uh, chip technology called um, a, a diamond diamond implant that drives the the, the bionic solution for artificial sight. You're passionate about leading gra- grassroots initiatives, and you founded actually. A no, some a number of non-for-profit organizations. Can you tell us what you've learned from every organization and how your leadership has changed and informed to today? Today, every single project takes a different leadership approach. Um, you know, when I was, I, I learned way back in my military days and in our, our leadership training. We did a lot of leadership training there, and there was something that really stuck. And that's called situational leadership. So uh, the circumstances, the team, the vision, the mission, the time of the day, what, what's right ahead of you can change the style that you need to adopt in, 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 in any particular time. So, um, for example, you know, if you, you're as just going about your daily life and you come across a car accident, you know, for me, my natural style is to become very bossy and start telling everybody what to do. Okay, you go, you you call nine one one. I'm I'm going to go out and 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 do um you know first aid or something like that. So that's very different than when you know you're in a situation where you want to do um when you're looking at really getting buy-in and in, in collaboration and bringing in a, a creative a brainstorming environment. So I think really always taking a unique approach to leadership itself and understanding that the leadership style and, and how you put the company together is not an afterthought. It's not about winning a leadership award. It's not about accolades that, hey, you're a good leader. It's actually part of the strategy. So in the type of business that we're in, it's a highly complex business. I'm dealing with really sophisticated people and in 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 one side of things it's like okay it's not about people not suffering fools it's 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 actually the contrary we have so many brilliant people that are such experts in their space they need to communicate together and and there's so much respect for one another sometimes you know you wouldn't expect somebody that's on the top of their game globally to come to a meeting and feel intimidated it happens so really awareness 
You know, my for for me, it's like I need to provide my very interdisciplinary, interdependent, specialized team players with a level of education. And my job, really, as the CEO of iBionics, when I go beyond setting out the strategy, uh, my job really is to uh, serve my team to make sure that they have all the pieces that they need to do their job. So looking for bottlenecks, smoothing those out, being a little bit of a coach, also, you know, taking everything that my team has to offer and seeing how we can uh, trickle down all of that leadership talent that's there. So, you know, my vision for Ibonics is that we really have, uh, will grow into having a, a mentorship coaching style leadership. Leadership is not about one person at the top or the executive. Uh, the leadership needs to be throughout the organization. And we need to give space to all of our people to stand up and be leaders and help develop them. It's, it's, it's just, I, I've always loved that. And you know, I've been working for decades. So, you know, there's lots of people that have come to work with me in, in the past as kids right out of school. And, you know, they surpassed me in many ways. And that makes me very proud. I mean, it's, it's always great to give back. And I think um, those people that hit plus 50, we have a drive as well to give back and, and try to share some of the lessons that we've learned over the course of our, our professional and personal lives. Well, that's great. I really loved the term that you learned and, and trained while in military was the situational leadership. And mm -hmm. it, so it sounds like that was a good base and understanding that helped you grow as a leader. Right from oh, the start. So much. <laughs> so much. The training there was really phenomenal. Uh, it was it's interesting because it's also a very, at the time, like I went through my training in the uh, late 80s. And it was also at the time a very masculine approach to leadership. Uh, but they empower you and they give you the flexibility to, you know, find your own way. And I, I have to say that, I very much follow the military ethos and, and structure of leadership when I was there, but I also brought my own sort of approach to it. And that's helped me as well. Between that, uh, working in a like completely male-dominated environment, I, I was in the command center for North American Air Defense for a number of years. I was the only female there. Uh, I've been in um, in training environments uh, where there's 3,000 people, and I would be, you know, with the militia, maybe the only the only female officer in the camp. Uh, so I'm I'm very aware of sort of that singled out piece. But I also um, one of the things that I learned about leadership when I went to developing country, and I had a team of 12, nine of them from different countries coming straight from their countries was the value and the beauty of diverse thinking, uh, people coming from different backgrounds, countries, and different disciplines, and just what that can bring. As long as people are willing to be flexible and accept a non-uniform approach to things and to listen, you know, I think the, 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 the value, the, the number one thing that I could say the most valuable thing that a leader and a marketer and a salesperson and a trainer can learn is really great listening skills and it goes beyond listening to words it you know it's listening for emotion uh scratching down diving down and, and and finding what is it even 
very often people communicate in the words that they're speaking to us isn't what the message that they are trying to give. They don't even know the message that they're trying to give sometimes. So having taking space to really uh, listen and again, back to situational, uh, there's times and in, in, in places for that in the middle of a, of a board meeting isn't the time necessarily to get into a long, deep discussion. Um, but having that wisdom and taking that space and learning just about what people are, you know, people are willing to share if you ask them the question. So you can really figure out the situation by listening. You mentioned outside of the Canadian forces being, being an engineering officer you bootstrap that strategic communications agency. You also That's had right. a publishing house, the art of business in Qatar. <laughs> yeah. It was a favorite <laughs> award-winning print. I mean, you have such a colorful experience that helped you not only grow, but my question and what I'm really curious to find out outside of the Canadian forces, was there any key times or key experiences that you really look back to and said, you know what, that was, that was a turning point of how I'm growing now? Um, I think what's key to the growth is the challenges we face. So if I go back to, and I think about, you know, when I, when I, when I left the, the air force, you know, I was, they were fast tracking me. They had, I was doing really well. Uh, you know, I figured it out. Um, I didn't actually like that. I'd figured it out. That was a little bit boring for me. I like the mystique and the, the challenge of, having to put puzzle pieces together and maybe that's my physics mind brain uh, speaking there. When I landed in and in, in got my business going in Qatar, the business was called uh, the art of business. I put my first project together and it was a phenomenal success. Everything just worked. Uh, you know, I reverse engineered the problems. I'd gone back to school for marketing entrepreneurship. I applied that. I had no mentors. I had no coaches. I had nothing. I just found a business partner. I interviewed for, for, for a co-founder and I had no experience in the space I was in. I hit the ground running and we did a phenomenal, um, first project. And then, you know, I grew the company a little bit. And when we were six to nine people, um, you know, I realized that there was something really off about how I saw my leadership. I, I didn't see myself working. And that was really a cultural question. So I was a sort of fast tracker in a very structured environment where everybody was self-motivated and trained. And then when I went to a developing country, you know, my team members were coming from different countries. They had different expectations of what a boss should be like culturally. Also, I had parts of my business that were very creative and I had parts of my business that were very disciplined. So I had two different types of uh, teams. I had my creative publishing team and I had people that would deliver, you know, events. We did major world-class events, you know, of over a million dollars. This is what I call project management on adrenaline. And all of my contractors and suppliers were from a developing country. So I had had a very unique, specific cultural approach to leading my contractors. I was the only woman in my and amongst my competitive base in my space. Uh, I need to figure out under in within that 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 culture, how can I be a friend 
um, relationships are very important in that culture and also be taken seriously and be able to hold my contractors to account. So uh, leadership was really key in leading my, um, my contractors. And when it came to my team, I, I had a moment where I really thought, I'm not a very good leader. This is really not working. That very structured mind running my training department from Australia, she has a very different idea of who I should be as a boss as compared to my Nepalese uh, drivers and, and, you know, who are doing the distribution for my, my publishing. And I needed to, on a situational level, I needed to figure out how I can have a one culture in my company and deal with my very structured part of my business in one way, the discipline part, and still have space for the artistic piece to work and also treat people individually come to their level of what their expectations were of me as a leader. So one thing that I, that I learned um, in my first job in the Middle East before I started my own company, you know, I had a very senior position in a new, it was like early days of internet cafes. And um, I was working for a very brilliant Bahraini man, great vision. And he hired me to start uh, a real estate sort of office to bring revenue into the company because he wasn't funded. And I had like, you know, after the general manager, I was the most senior person there and I had great relationships with everybody, but they wouldn't do anything for me that I asked them to do. They didn't work directly for me, but I asked them, I went to him, I said, okay, what am I doing wrong? And he said, oh, you're saying please and thank you. And the, the Asians in the company, uh, to them, if you say please and thank you, they interpret that as it's only a suggestion and if they feel like it, they should do it. You really need to give them commanding sort of almost orders and direction. And it's like, well, that's really weird. Okay. So I, I took that little piece of learning and I took that forward into the art of business. And uh, one very sophisticated lady came to me and she said, you know, why are you being so bossy with me? Uh, it's like, Oh, well, you know, so there were aspects of that culture that had to do also with um, upbringing, class, education, where you were. It was very complicated to me to work around all these sort of um, expectations of, of what that boss is. So uh, I had to figure that out. And it, it was not intuitive. It was outside of my cultural upbringing of how I would deal with people. And I couldn't deal with them all the same. So the approach in the business went beyond what's the situation in the business and what's the situation with the cultural background of that individual. Um, and, and, but I, but I took that and I, I actually made it a business. Um, one of, so you won't see it on my profile, but I, I started a, a business called Yahala, which was basically a cultural orientation for expatriates coming into the university and, um, oil and gas fields in, in Qatar so that they, could actually relate with uh, locals and other cultures. So, uh, but it was a hard learning lesson. And I really, it, it gave me some pause to really doubt what I thought. I thought I was a great leader and it was like, I'm really messing this up. So I, I just had to reboot and find a whole different way of doing it. I heard you speak last year at uh, the Startup Canada Awards. Uh, I know iBionics, they, they won the most innovative company award. Um, yeah. In your speech, which really hit me because I was there, you mentioned that you are leading a mission of hope. Yes. Has your yes. current role at iBionics changed 
the outlook you have on 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 the work you're doing and and what else needs to be done in the world now? I, I think it's given me a, a different appreciation for uh, motivation on mass. As as you know, I've I've done some what people would some work that people would refer to as movements. You know, got the we got the coast to coast in Canada during the World War I orphans campaign. We had a brilliant uh, campaign in eight weeks. We sent a, an airplane of relief supplies over to Rwanda and orphans in 1994. Spirit of empowerment in Qatar, working with um, local uh, local Arab women, and then. I was trying to understand why Ibonics and the Diamond Eye had such capacity to attract champions. And we had almost previous, well, previous strangers come and advocating for what we we're doing and, and taking their time and, and not charging us and really volunteering and trying to push the project forward. And I couldn't quite understand it. I, w- I, I felt, I still feel blessed to be in the middle of all of that. And I was trying to really unlock and unpack the why this was happening. And uh, I was inspired by a conversation I had with our uh, chief clinical officer, Dr. Flavio Resende. And I think it was the second meeting with him that, uh, you know, my job was to get medical validation. I was just trying to get him to kind of say, yeah, I like what you guys are doing. And in fact, he jumped in and wanted to be part of the project. And now he's a part of our leadership team. And I asked him, like, how did you do that? How did you, in the second time you meet us, just jump in uh, with two feet and and give so much? And he spoke to me about his job. And, you know, he's, you know, a retina surgeon trains for over a decade of their life for the privilege to do surgery, um, you know, retina surgery and to help people. And when it comes to diseases, degenerative retina diseases, there are really very few cures, in some cases, no cures and limited treatments. And there's no hope for people that are going blind. And hope is very powerful. And, and, and one of the big reasons that he wanted to jump on board is when he sees, you know, he might see 60 people in a day of those that are going blind through degenerative retina diseases, uh, age-related macular degeneration or retinitis pigmentosa, you know, he can tell them that there's hope, that there's something coming, that, that yes, I can't stop you from going blind, but I can help you to be able to see again. And um, that was really powerful to me. And, and I under I started to think about just the miracle almost that we're working it within to be able to change something in the past that had no, no solution. And the fact that people had actually uh, gravitated towards us is because they wanted to share in that giving of hope. And, um, I, I translated that to being something bigger and, and, and the motivation being actually even beyond the diamond eye and that people see if they can be part of, of solving big world problems, uh, and not necessarily that they have to be at the heart. They can just be a volunteer or they can be passing the word along. They can be making connections, um, that if they're part of that, that helps us to understand just how powerful we are collectively uh, to change the world. And, 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 I, and I think that's the motivation that draws people to Ibonics. It sounds like a big leap, but that's sort of what I've, uh, that's the puzzle, that, that's a conclusion to this puzzle that I've come up with. I'm curious to know, Suzanne, who, who are your biggest influences when it comes to business leadership? Oh gosh, that's such a great question. Uh, because by by nature, you know, I've always been an adventurer. I think my mother brought me up 
uh, to do that when I was nine years old. I lived in Dartmouth at the edge of town, and I used to spend my time like running around in the woods and, and you know, balancing on the side of a canal and climbing cliffs. And I often thought, you know, when my daughter was nine, that I would be horrified if she was doing that kind of thing. At the same time, you know, we, we, we need to take risks uh, in order to build courage and uh, to be in a position to accept adventure. And at the same time, my nature from, a, a, I guess, a financial kind of perspective is relatively conservative. And uh, when I was running, I, I had some sort of personal things that I needed to get through uh, when I was working in, in uh, the art of business in Qatar. And I, I didn't have mentors, really wasn't entrepreneurship happening there. So I read a lot of books. And one of the things that was really uh, worrying me was, you know, cash flow. Sometimes I would dip into the red and, and that made me very uncomfortable. So I, I, I read um, a biography by Richard Branson and I read his story and I, I saw how many times he almost lost everything that he, you know, success didn't just happen for him. He sometimes he had to put everything on the line. And I, and I think that gave me the courage to not the courage. I think it gave me permission to understand that it's all right. Uh, you know, you're not failing just because right now uh, your cash flow is in the red or just right now you don't have everything you need to go to the next level. Uh, you're going to have to move through some very uncomfortable things sometimes to get where you want to go, especially if you're ambitious. And uh, I, I think that was really remarkably influential in a shift of my own mindset of what it was going to take me to grow business. Suzanne, I'm really having an amazing time. I'm listening. I'm really uh, inspired by what you're doing. So before we end, do you have any final thoughts, any ob observations or, or actionable recommendations that you can share for the future leaders who are looking to grow their career today? Well, uh, just like leadership is situational, I think what future path for anybody is is, is very personal and, and situational. And the key to mapping out a very inspiring to you and rewarding career path is, is really about self-awareness and understanding yourself and what really drives you, what you want to accomplish, what kind of mark you want to leave in the world, and also understanding uh, what your strengths and weaknesses are and allowing yourself to have those weaknesses and, and just being aware of uh, we all have things that we need to work on about ourselves. Um, from, from a leadership perspective, I've there's sometimes a little bit of, of what's called mystique. So uh, I'll give you kind of a, a short little story. Uh, so uh, Dr. David Garrett is on a research project with Australia. He comes from um, with us in Australia uh, with the National Vision Research Institute. And he's worked with Professor Stephen Prower, our chief technology officer, for a long time. Stephen's been his boss in the university setting. And uh, both Stephen and um, and David came over for technology summits a couple weeks ago, and because we're a startup and we're you know looking at uh, squeezing the most out of every penny, these gentlemen were sharing an Airbnb, and 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 David Garrett said, "Oh, it's the first time you know that I've stayed in the same place as uh, Stephen Prower, and it uh, you know seeing him in his socks, it really you know it." it 
it, it really takes that mystique away of, you know, the boss. So I think it's important that we present ourselves authentically and allow ourselves to be seen as human and not set these expectations that just because we're the leader that we're perfect. Um, we need to uh, be open to feedback and give people space uh, to, to give us that, that feedback. And I, I think sometimes, uh, you know, what people think a boss needs to look like is less important than actually, you know, coming to work, being who you are and, and, and working to your strengths, being aware of your weaknesses and being very open about not trying to just play a role, just, you know, being yourself and doing your best. I think people really respect that. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. So to close, Suzanne, please tell us where we can find more information about you, iBionics, and perhaps the, the, the Diamond Eye. Uh, so we do have a website, uh, Um It was its original website when we when we started the company. So it was a little light on content, but if you go to the blog piece there, you'll see some of our, our corporate communications that touch on um, our accomplishments uh, and our story a little bit as we've been moving along. We also do have a, a Facebook page. It's iBionics. We've got a few Twitter handles. Um, I as in the letter I, Diamond I, and Ibionic CA. And you can follow me at Suzanne Michelle Grant on Twitter, and I'm also on LinkedIn. Awesome. So, and if you do a Google search, you'll find uh, some um, Access Media did a nice um, TV episode with us, so you can see some cool lasers. Uh, so if you just Google Ibionics and Access Media, uh, also... Um, CBC did a really nice um, uh, story of, of how we all came together as well, um, all in the day program. So, a little bit of googling, and you'll find some you'll find some pieces here and there. Well, great! I'll definitely share the links on on the episode page as well. But Suzanne, it's thank you. Been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> oh, thank you, Edwin. Thank you for listening to the episode. I really enjoyed speaking to Suzanne, just hearing her stories, growing as an entrepreneur in the Middle East, starting passion projects and non-for-profits, to her current role at iBionics, bringing vision back to the blind. If you are interested in learning more about Suzanne, iBionics, and any of the resources that she mentioned, I have posted the links on our website directly to the episode by going to thebusinessleadership.com slash zero one four i would love to hear from you feel free to reach out to me directly via email to edwin at the com. and we're currently serving our listeners to learn more about you so please take a few minutes and visit our website and click on the survey link found at the homepage. thank you again and until next time edwin signing off thank you for listening to the business leadership podcast at the business leadership.com.